0: God, we thank you for this moment. Thank you for uh, this opportunity that we have to look to your word. God, we don't take this moment lightly. And Lord, we ask for your help. Lord, as we um, study it here in the next couple of minutes, that you would give us spiritual eyes to see and to understand it. God, we pray that you would give us a glimpse of your glory through John 17 that would change us. Or that you'd give us a heart for the nations because it's something that you uh, desire for each one of your children. And so, God, would you come by your spirit and help us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Growing up, my uh, dad was a elementary PE school teacher, which meant uh, oftentimes I would see my elementary teachers kind of after school hours uh, behind the curtain, if you will. Uh, for me, you know, viewing my elementary school teachers, I either was terrified of them, like scared to death of them, or I idolized them and got super nervous around them. And so whenever I saw them like after school hours, outside of the classroom, behind the curtain, it was always very odd for me. I, I remember this one time uh, my dad was invited to go to this uh, all elementary school teacher meeting after school, and my mom was working, so he had to bring me and, and my siblings and he told us to kind of wait outside, you know, here's a ball, go play with this. But I was so curious about why the teachers were meeting after school. And so I, I peered through the window, and I saw like half the teachers were crying. And they were like putting their hands over another teacher, praying for this one particular teacher. And that struck me as odd. I, I later found out that teacher was just diagnosed with cancer, and so they were praying and, and interceding for her. And it struck me as odd because I always saw my teachers as polished. You know, they never really had any hardship, no trials. But watching them behind the curtain, it changed the way that I saw them and later interacted with them. They were, for some reason, like more real to me. They were more human. And I think something similar is happening when you look at John chapter 17 and you see that the Lord Jesus is praying And his disciples are most likely nearby hearing this prayer. And we get kind of this inside look, kind of this behind the curtain, inside the heart of the Lord Jesus that's meant to change us. It's meant to change the way that we see Jesus, and it's meant to to change the way that we even interact with Jesus. John 17 has been, as of late, called the real Lord's Prayer, See, when you think about the Lord's Prayer, many of us automatically go to Matthew 6 when Jesus is saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, and so on and so forth. Normally, we think, ah, that's the Lord's Prayer. But the context of Matthew 6 is actually the disciples are asking the Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus is like, okay, well, pray like this. Here's a model for you to use. And yet we never really see Jesus praying that prayer in Matthew 6 like, for example, Jesus is never asking the Father to forgive him of his trespasses because Jesus never sinned. And so really, the Matthew 6 prayer should be called the disciples' prayer. And yet, when you get to Matthew, or John 17 here, something amazing happens as Jesus prays. The curtain is pulled back, and we get kind of this inside look at the heart of Jesus. I think it's been rightly said that if you really want to know someone, just listen to them pray. That when you hear someone's prayer, it it reveals their priorities. It reveals their longings. It reveals their desires and their burdens. And I think that's exactly what's happening in John chapter 17. John 17 is the longest and most uh, most personal recorded prayer of Jesus in the entire Bible. What we're going to see here over uh, today and next week is that Jesus reveals his heart through this prayer. He reveals his relationship with the Father, his desire for his disciples, and even for us today. Now, you might be wondering, what does John 17 have to do with global missions? Like, today is our first of two weeks of looking at kind of this reach, this church-wide emphasis on global outreach. What does Jesus' prayer have to do with global missions Well, I would argue that global missions would not exist without some of the things that Jesus prayed about in John chapter 17. Let me give you a little tease of of what I mean by this. If you look at verse 18 with me, Jesus, who's praying to the Father, says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Talking to his disciples, talking to his followers That in the same way that Jesus was sent into the world with a particular mission, so now Jesus sends his followers into the world with a particular mission. Missions is a key theme in the prayer of Jesus in John 17. You can almost view this prayer as Jesus is kind of reviewing and analyzing his mission with the Father that then serves as this foundation for how followers of Jesus today are to carry forth the mission of Jesus. And so the question that I want us to kind of wrestle with in this passage over the next couple of weeks is how does Jesus's prayer shape our understanding of missions today? That's what we're going to key in on over the next couple of weeks. And so today we're going to look at four observations about missions from Jesus' prayer. And then next week, we'll look at some specific actions related to missions. Okay, so four observations. Here's number one. And we'll jump around quite a bit here in the first half of Jesus' prayer. But the first observation is that every Christian has been sent on mission. Again, as Jesus is praying with the Father, he's talking a lot about his mission that the Father has given him. But verse 18, again, he says, As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. That there's something about how Jesus was sent and what his mission was that shapes our understanding of what our mission in this world actually is. And of course, this, uh, this climaxes in kind of the, the commissioning narrative in John chapter 20, where Jesus tells his disciples in verse 21 He says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so we are sent like Jesus was sent, but not in the exact same way. See, I I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves and and not understand that part of Jesus' mission was utterly unique. Like, there are aspects of Jesus' mission that we are called to imitate, we're called to copy, but then there are other aspects of Jesus' mission that we are not called to copy or copy to imitate, or, or uh, supposed to imitate. See, for, for Jesus, as we look throughout the New Testament, there are aspects and commands that God wants us to imitate. You think about Ephesians 5. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ loved. Or even 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 21. Peter says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might also follow in his steps. So there are definitely aspects of Jesus's life and mission that we need to copy and imitate, but I don't want us to read Jesus's prayer as he's reviewing his mission and automatically conclude, ah, Jesus did this or Jesus did that, therefore I need to do this or I need to do that. I don't want us to even look at verse 18 and change the way that it's, that it's written to mean this. In the same exact way as you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. In other words, yes, we are called to imitate the life of Christ, but there are aspects that are utterly unique to what Jesus actually accomplished. For example, Jesus was sent into the world to die on the cross for sinners. Right? That's not something that you and I are called to do. Jesus had kind of this supernatural divine knowledge of the people around him that then led him to having this supernatural ministry with them. And that's not something that you and I have or are called to have. And the list goes on and on. Look, I'm stressing this this morning because sometimes when we think about missions or evangelism or global outreach, we sometimes look at Jesus's life first as something to copy or imitate before looking at Jesus's life as something to worship because it's utterly unique. Sometimes we get more excited about ways we can imitate Jesus than the glorious ways in which we cannot imitate Jesus. So missions actually begins with understanding the glorious nature of who Jesus is and the many ways that he is not like us. And so the the danger here I'm trying to encourage us to avoid when thinking about missions is to not focus on ourselves and what we're called to do. We'll get to that. But to first focus on Jesus and all that he is to us and how utterly unique he truly is. And so with that being said, when you look at verse 18, Jesus does say that he sends us into the world. Now, why? Why? Well, he sends us into the world because there is a mission. There is an assignment. There's a task for us to accomplish. Now, this task or this mission will get further unpacked for the disciples here in coming weeks. But what Jesus is referring to is the Great Commission. As Jesus, who is about to leave his followers in Matthew 28, he says, "'All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations.'" Okay, that's, that's the mission for all followers of Jesus to do. And what verse 18, I think, is telling us is the fact that if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, then you are a missionary. You are sent by Jesus with a mission. Right? that's what I think verse 18 is telling us. Now, some of us are called to be a missionary cross-culturally overseas, maybe in a different environment than here. And then others of us are called on mission, sent by Jesus, maybe here in Indianapolis. But look, if if you've said yes to the gospel, you've also said yes to being sent by Jesus on mission. They're not separated. They're not two different things. If you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior— that commission, in Matthew 28, is a direct order by Jesus to you upon your life that you are called to live out. I love how J.D. Greer puts this. He says, the question is no longer if we are called to leverage our lives for the Great Commission, it's only where and how. Okay, again, some of us are called here, some of us are called overseas, but we are all called to leverage our lives for the Great Commission. Like, I I love Nathan and Jan Cole. I I shared this in the first hour. If you ask my wife um, who my spiritual man crush is, it's definitely Nathan Cole by far. Like, I just, I so respect what they're doing, how the Lord is using them, how much they've surrendered their lives for the gospel. And I have that type of respect for all cross-cultural missionaries. Like, don't get me wrong, but something that I think that I've done that the Lord has convicted me of is I will sometimes put these cross-cultural missionaries on a pedestal. And I'll say they're the super elite, super Christians, and they're called to something that I'm not necessarily called to do. Like, they're the sent ones. I'm not part of the sent Christians within God's kingdom. And yet verse 18 is not saying that. He's not saying that there's only a small group of Christians who are sent on missions. Verse 18 is saying that Jesus sends all of his followers to be sent on missions. Again, some in different contexts, some here in Indianapolis. But the reality is is that God's call into missions is not this separate call that you receive after salvation. It is inherent in our salvation. Now next week we're going to look at what this mission entails, exactly how I think even in Jesus's prayer we are to accomplish uh, this mission. But In the very beginning here, I just want to kind of change the optics a little bit about how we view missions, how we view uh, what a missionary is, and I want you to view your role as someone who has been sent on mission by Jesus that is strategic and powerful. So that's the first observation. The second one I want to point out is that God's glory is the fuel for missions. When you look at Jesus' prayer, God's glory is all over it. first five verses, Jesus mentions glory four different times. In the entire prayer, Jesus uses the word glory seven times. I think it's also very significant that this is the first thing that Jesus prays about. He's centered on the centrality of God's glory. He says in verse one, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And so in the very beginning of Jesus's prayer, he says the hour has come which is code for I'm about to die, which is true. He's literally hours away from getting up on a cross and dying for the sins of the world. And so even in his death, Jesus wants the Father to receive glory. Jesus is consumed with the, with the, glory for, with the Father receiving glory. Even in verse 4, it says, I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So not only in Jesus's death does, did he want the Father receive glory, but even throughout his life on the earth. Jesus saw such an intimate connection between his mission and his assignment on the earth and God's glory because, as John Piper has famously said, God's glory is the fuel for missions. That this is the motivation For why we even think about global missions and global outreach, it is the glory of God. It's not that global missions is the cool thing to do. It's it's not that, man, we just get really excited about these new strategies. But what should motivate us in thinking about global missions is the glory and the magnificent worth of God. See, God's glory is understanding that God is in a class all by himself. Like, there's nothing to compare God to. God has this infinite perfection, infinite worth, infinite beauty, endless amount of holiness. And yet, when those attributes of God are put on display, when they are made manifest, that's what glory is. And we see that all around us. Like, Psalm 19 talks about how creation is declaring the glory of God. It's because God's attributes are put on display. That's when we see his glory We see his glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe most powerfully, where Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. See, there's something about the gospel, Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world, that displays the attributes of God resulting in us seeing his glory. You see the love of God, you see the justice of God on display in the cross, and that is us seeing God's glory. Piper talks about uh, that when when God's attributes kind of go public, that's when you kind of see God's glory. Now, this is the way I think it fuels missions, is that when you see God in his infinite worth and his infinite perfections, that will then motivate you to sharing that with other people. Like you want them to enjoy what you've enjoyed in seeing and experiencing God's glory. Like you, if you've experienced God's glory, it's not something that you can contain in yourself, especially when you consider there are unreached, unengaged people groups who have not heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have not seen God's glory. That will motivate you to considering maybe going and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Seeing God's glory will result in us having this passionate and contagious worship of God that's inviting others to enjoy it as well. I love this John Piper quote where he says that worship is the white-hot enjoyment of the glory of God, that only such worship can provide us the fuel for missions. He says, he goes, You cannot commend what you don't cherish. That Christians will never call out, let the nations be glad. If they cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. there is little passion for the kingdom where there is little passion for the king. Look, as we begin talking about reach, this is the first day we'll get to more of it next week. I just want to be abundantly clear that in order for us to be faithful to the mission of the Great Commission, the thing that we need to see most is the glory of God. It's not seeing like the latest strategies or ways to be most effective in global outreach. It's not to see, uh, you know, if finances are are coming in and that's the way that we're gonna reach people for the world. The way that we will be faithful to the Great Commission is first seeing and experiencing the glory of God. Why? Look, God's glory is the only thing that will motivate you and I to considering going to an unreached people group and living there and saying, yeah, I will I will say yes to that assignment. In fact, God's glory is the only thing that will motivate you and I to going next door and sharing the gospel with our neighbors and our co-workers, right? We have all kinds of fears. We have inadequacies. We have weaknesses. We have all these reasons why we shouldn't go next door or to the nations. And so What is the only thing that is powerful enough to kind of uh, override those fears and those insecurities? It's God's glory. It's seeing God in the magnificent worth that he is and saying, I cannot keep that to myself. I've got to share that with those around me. And so look, if, if the chief theme of your life is not enjoying Jesus, worshiping Jesus, being freshly astounded by his grace then we have very little business inviting others to experience what we are not enjoying ourselves. I think global missions begins with enjoying Jesus and experiencing his glory. And we see that Jesus was just consumed with it, which led to his faithfulness in the mission that the Father gave him. So being passionate for God's glory is key. The third observation from uh, Jesus' prayer is that success is being faithful to God's assignment for you. You see this in verse four. Uh, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I found that very interesting. Jesus kind of saw his calling coming to the earth as an assignment, as work to do, something to accomplish. And for Jesus, glorifying God was about being faithful to his assignments. I think what has always struck me as, as, as odd on, on a certain degree is that as Jesus was living on the earth, he didn't save everybody he interacted with. He was just faithful to his assignment, and, and the Father was in charge of the results of that. Right? And I think for us, thinking about, okay, if we want to be passionate about God's glory, we want to share that with those around us, we have to answer the question, what is God's assignment for me in this life? Okay, what, what has God called me to do and where? Okay, we're, we're not talking about why God has me on the earth. The, the why question is answered in the Great Commission. The what and where question is what you have to wrestle with with the Lord. The God, where do you want me? And what do you want me to be doing as I go and I'm sent on mission? That's something between you and the Lord. And look, I truly believe there are some who are in this room who God is calling you to go. God is calling you to go and and be part of reaching the unreached people groups with your life, perhaps with your vocation, with your family, and to accept that call. And others of us are called here. And we've heard the Lord very clearly say, yes, you're called here because this is a strategic location that I want you to be. But we see that Jesus viewed his whole life as being faithful to this assignment, that Jesus came to the earth, lived a perfect life, raised up disciples, died on the cross, raised back to life, and then handed this mission over to his disciples. That was his assignment. And he did it faithfully for the glory of God. Like, Do you know What God's assignment is for your life. Look, I think sometimes when we think about that question, we can honestly, like, over-spiritualize it a little bit. Like, we almost want God to, to speak to us in a bizarre way. Like, you know, put an envelope in our mailbox and tell us exactly where and what he wants us to be doing as a pastor talks about we can sometimes have the, the Cheerios cereal philosophy of life where we're eating this bowl of cereal and, God, what do you want? for What's your will for my life? And we want God to arrange the Cheerios a certain way to spell out a sentence of where he wants to take us. And yet the, the why question has been settled. The Great Commission is what God wants us to be doing. The question now is, where is the most strategic location for you to live out the Great Commission? and to do what God has gifted you in doing, do what you're good at, but do it in a strategic location for the Great Commission to, be, uh, to go forth. Okay, I truly believe that if you have not asked God the question, God, are you sending me to go? God, do you want me to go to the unreached people groups? If you've not even asked God that question, I think it would put into question if you've really experienced the glory of God for yourself. That someone who's unwilling to even ask God that question, it would almost raise the question, is Jesus really the king and lord of your life? Like if Jesus is king and he's lord, he needs to be lord of every area of your life. So there's nothing that's untouchable for God, right? Even the thoughts of picking up your family, picking up your career, and considering going, if God puts that on your heart. And so, look, your ability to say yes to Jesus in salvation is one thing. Like, you'll trust him with eternity, but will you trust him with your life here on the earth, even if that means God's sending you to a different country? And I think that, that's part of this challenge, and this part of this wrestling with, God, where do you want me, and what Do you want me to be doing? And look, maybe you have asked God that question. Like, I bet most of us, the majority of us, have wrestled with that question, and God has been abundantly clear, no, I want you here in Indianapolis. Like, this is a strategic location for you to be at. And look, praise God for that. Like, this is not a guilt trip about global missions at all, and I know that won't work. Only God's glory will motivate us. But maybe he has spoken to you to saying, yeah, you're here. And if that's true, then be the best that you can be where you are in order for the Great Commission to go forth in your life. Be the best lawyer, be the best doctor, be the best nurse, be the best mother, be the best father, knowing that your role is first a missionary who just so happens to be living in Indianapolis, and then uh, you're doing whatever you're doing at Roche or whatever your career is. So you're not first someone who's working at Roche or a teacher for HSC who just so happens to be a Christian and a missionary. No, no, it's flipped. You're first a missionary sent with a particular assignment from God who just so happens to be working wherever that you are working. That that is your mission field. And the call here is to be faithful wherever God has you. Fourth observation, and I'll close with this is that prayer is the indispensable work in missions. Prayer is the indispensable work in missions. When you look at the Lord's Prayer here, Jesus um, moves from praying uh, for himself, and in verses 6 through 19, begins to pray for his disciples, then starts to pray even for um, us, other followers, in verses 20 through 26. But he's praying for very specific things. He's praying for their protection. He's praying that that they would be guarded from the evil one. He's praying that they would be faithful to the mission that God has given them. He's praying even for unity among believers today. And one of the things that just hit me in the chest was the thought that Jesus is literally hours away from dying, and the one thing that he is doing is he's praying. I was like, really? like. He knew there were other people that haven't believed yet. Like, he knew that there were people who didn't view him as Lord and Savior. Why is Jesus, hours before he dies, not out trying to share the gospel with them? He's he's praying here because prayer is the indispensable work in missions. Jesus is demonstrating for us the utmost importance and the necessity of prayer. prayer is not the thing that we do on the way to ministry. Prayer is central to the ministry and to the mission of the Great Commission. Jesus didn't just uh, demonstrate this hours before he died. He even demonstrated this in Matthew chapter 9, that as Jesus is going from town to town, he's preaching the gospel, he's healing people, he's doing some of the most amazing works in ministry. And then he gets to verse 37, and he concludes this. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, and notice what he says here, he doesn't say, therefore, build out a strategy for maximum effectiveness. He doesn't say that. You know, as, as the laborers are few, he's not thinking, okay, therefore, go and raise up more finances, right? Go, go develop some type of recruiting strategy. No, no. Jesus says, therefore, pray earnestly, to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. is that amazing? Like that's Jesus's strategy, is to pray how much more should be central in our mission, in our role for the Great Commission. Jesus shows us that prayer is not just icing on the cake as we try to reach the nations, it is the indispensable work in missions. And so as we close this morning... I want to just use the rest of our time today actually doing this. I want us to actually pray for the Great Commission, for our missionaries that we support, and even for our own hearts today, that we would see the glory of God more clearly and perhaps even ask the Lord, God, are, are you putting something on my heart to maybe go, maybe go on a vision trip, maybe to explore that option of going to unreach or unengaged people groups? And so we've got a couple prayer requests here that will be on the screen. Just want us to take the next three, four, five minutes and just, just right where you are, just to pray for these things. Because look, if, if Jesus did it, how much more should we? So let me pray and then we can spend the rest of the time even praying to God. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, thank you for the importance of just looking at what the scriptures have to say about your heart for the nation's. Lord, we thank you for the missionaries that you've been able to um, just align our paths with in in order to, to lock arms in reaching unreached people groups. God, I pray for our church, Lord, that we would, yes, be excited about reaching unreached people groups, but Lord, that we would understand that you are the Lord of the harvest. And because that is true, God, we wanna pray to you. We wanna be a dependent people upon you. Lord, we wanna trust you with the results. And so, God, I pray that you would make us desperate in praying for you. Help us to be challenged, to be people who pray for the Great Commission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.